You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour. We are discussing Anthony Horowitz's Magpie Murders from the end of part four up to the road to Framlingham in the middle of part six. It's a bit of a mess, but I think you'll be able to be able to cope if you're reading along with us. We are joined once again by Andrew Popel from our sister show, Final Draft, to talk a little bit about this lovely metafictional mystery. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. It's so good to have you here. It is wonderful to be joining you. All the thoughts. I don't know if you're going to regret asking the the literary show guy on or I'm going to regret saying yes because- We regret nothing. That's how it works. (laughs) I I have to ask you, Andrew, uh, obviously we're in the first part of the show. You don't need to solve everything just yet. But not okay. only do we have the 50 or so characters, you know, in, in the in the in Alan Conway's The Magpie Murders, we now have an additional 20 or 30 characters in, you know, outside of that decks. How are you how are you coping with this many characters and situations? Are you taking a, a thorough set of notes or do you have some kind of mind palace you go to? How does that work for you? I do have some pretty thorough notes. Good, good. I like to hear that. I took on board some um uh, some suggestions from our last conversation about the way I might've been focusing on the meta fiction and maybe not enough on like actual murder mystery um, staples, like, Mm -hmm. you know, who done it and, and, and how. Um, And, and I, I think I actually, my (laughs) brain just, my brain just dismissed that. And I took a deeper dive in the meta fiction. I, I would like to preview that I am going to consider whether I could have actually solved the whole thing within the first three pages. Awesome. And then also maybe coming to the conclusion that I I couldn't, but that there was a lot to be done in that space. But I mean, someone has to kind of tell, tell people where we're at because we've now got two stories, more murders. It's all, it's all a bit much. I suppose I will paint the broad strokes and then maybe Andrew, you can kind of fill in with the details that you think might be a little important that I might be actively skirting around. But in short, we get to the end of Alan Conway's Magpie Murders, but there's a few pages missing at the end. Mm. It seems the book is unfinished and our now named editor, Susan Ryland, found, finds out that the reason the manuscript is incomplete is because the author, Alan Conway, is in fact dead. And we then cross over into Susan's world in Anthony Horowitz's Magpie Murders to see if Susan can figure out what happened to her dearly beloved writing companion. Susan was the author who uh, discovered Alan Conway, so to speak, and has been following along the entire journey of Atticus Pund. Yeah. And uh, now here we are with uh, Susan, a tried and true (coughs) crime and mystery fiction editor, trying to use the very tropes of the genre she works within to solve a murder mystery in her own life. And so we've got, yeah, we've got parts five and six, um, silver and gold. We move into Susan's world and then we Mm. have these multiple... um, sort of chapters of her life that kind of roughly, they're, they're like scene jumps. And I, I guess, could I have solved it within the first three pages? Forget the, forget the whole extra section. I, I actually went back because this, this was something one of, you, one of you guys challenged me on. I found that there is actually a lot of really interesting stuff in those first three pages that is mm. worth considering. Sure. And a lot of it is literary. So this is, this is the whole metafiction. On page three- our as yet unnamed, but we now know it's Susan, um, mentions a whole lot of books. And I actually think a, a bit of a key to the reading is in what she mentions. <laughs> I think this is really Here important. If, Here if, we go. I'm excited for this. I'm reading it correctly. <laughs> so um, Susan is, is kind of, you know, getting us in and she's about to tell us about how Magpie Murders changed her life. Um, she mentions, where do we start? We start... Um, 
about how Jane Eyre steered her to a career in publishing, which she tells us is a touch ironic in view of what happened. Uh oh. So why would Jane Eyre be a touch ironic in view of what happened? Who, who is Jane? Who is Rochester in this scenario? That's that's going to be important. She then mentions uh, a couple of you know, incredible British novels, plenty of books that have touched me very deeply. Now, she she must have read thousands of books. Why does she choose Ian McEwan's Atonement and Katsuo Ishiguro's Never Let Me Go? Okay, Atonement is spread across multiple narratives over multiple times, but what I think is important here is Atonement is based on a fundamental misreading of events from the very beginning. I think that's important. I like this. I like where this is going. This is the rabbit hole, everybody. I'm having way too much fun. Please continue. Katsu Ishiguro's Never Let Me Go. The thing I think we can take from there is the idea of doubles, the idea of doubling and one standing in for the other. I mean, we do get into those doubles a little bit, looking at who <laughs> seems to be standing in for who in Saxby on Avon, as well as in Alan Conway's world. It's <laughs> some weird relationships there. But I suppose, what do you think Alan Conway was trying to do there? He is writing a mystery in his own life, and Magpie Murders reveals something. The missing pages reveal something, and that's what got him killed. Uh-huh. And every... Everyone is a double, but I suspect it is not in the way that we think. And I suspect Susan might have made some mistakes in some of the assumptions that she's um, gone with. Interesting. But doubling, the doubling is the people, and we see this really overtly later on. I think the other doubling is what's going to be really, and in fact, I think the key to discovering who killed Conway is finding who killed Pi or vice versa. She then goes on to mention... And this is where I, I got a little, this got a little bit tricky for me. Books that have had a profound effect on our attitudes. She does mention Harry Potter. I'm not sure how important Harry Potter is. I'm not sure. Although- Maybe we'll find out that it was all magic all along. Maybe that's what we'll learn. <laughs> yeah, there are witches involved. If I if I if I had to run, I would have actually maybe run with I think something about um, Harry and Voldemort being inextricably linked. I think that might be the Harry Potter link. Lady Chatterley's lover, mm. all about love, sex, and class. I think something the mystery, the reason why Magpie Murders got Alan Conway killed, probably has something to do with love, sex, class, all of the above. And then the final book mentioned is 1984, and I'm. I'm a little stumped on uh, 1984, and and that this is probably why I don't I don't know if I've figured it all out. But 1984 does have a lot to do with suppression of ideas, and perhaps you know, is it possible Magpie Murders will not give us a satisfying ending? I couldn't say. Well, quite curiously, we do know on, on this layer of the metafiction on Flex and Herds's reality that there are sequels to this book. So yes. how, how goodness yeah. does Susan Ryland and Atticus Punt's adventures continue? Well, that is the interesting uh, thing, isn't it? We have both Atticus Punt and, and Susan. So we only need one of those, surely, to continue the, the, the sequel book, you know? I don't know. Is that the case? Does, do they both get out of this? I guess we'll have to see. The other thing that I do want to bring up before we kind of move on while we're talking about things that inspired this text is a, a, a Wikipedia factoid that I've not had the chance to quite so thoroughly investigate is that this text's original concept was uh, drafted on the set of Midsummer Murders, for which Anthony Horowitz was one of the lead writers back in the late '90s, early 2000s. And we've mentioned, you know, we've mentioned Alex Ryder, we've mentioned The Power of Five, we've mentioned the continuation novels that he's worked on. But Midsummer Murders is probably one of the biggest, uh, most internationally recognized franchises 
that that the man's laid his hands to, and it is murder mystery, you know, police procedural to an absolute T. So do you think we're going to see any more of that influence in here? Because we definitely don't seem to be going quite down that standard path of introduce the killer right at the start, go on a massive detour and come right back around to where we began. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not so sure. And I feel like you guys actually have helped me a little bit with what you said there, because I was building up to this whole idea that Susan talks about um, Susan talks about how her life has changed. She no longer has her job. She no longer lives in Crouch End. She's lost a lot of her friends. I, I think she's our detective. I don't think she is the killer. But I think the fact that so much yeah. has been taken from her or she gave it up tells us something. I, I, th- this is working into one of my, my theories, but that's, that's later in the show. You don't want me to, you don't want me to say that now. Yeah. That is later in the show. That is later in the show. Supposedly. I think the other <laughs> thing that I did want to touch on uh, while we're here is one really clever construction technique that Anthony Horowitz has used in this book is actually letting you basically get to the end of the magpie murders before pulling the rug out from under you. We basically get to the scene of someone going, oh, I know who did it, and that's where the book cuts off. Like, here on the show, if I'm reading a murder mystery book for fun, not for the show, not where we're splitting it up into three parts, Anthony Horowitz has stopped Alan Conway's magpie murders at the point that I would normally finish, go back to the beginning and go the whole way through again before actually reading the ending. Mm. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I think that there's something very intelligent about the way that that placement has been used we're not stopping too early we're stopping like just before the finish line so that you actually have a relatively complete idea of the text in your head before moving on to this next passage you know do we do we trust it though like susan susan reassures us that pund does not lie what can you trust though (laughs) (laughs) this is the thing can I tell you, Andrew, you've spent a very long time on both episodes talking about how we cannot put anything to fact and we cannot trust many of the observations of the characters. What what do you trust, Andrew, in this book? What is the foundation of your interpretation of this book that you actually trust? Is it the books mentioned in the first three pages of the novel and nothing else? I mean, that would be reasonable to me. I, I back that choice. Is there anybody in this in this book, any character that you trust, any theme that you can stand on? I think that this is ridiculous and I love it, <laughs> but I need to know, Andrew, do you, do you trust anything? I trust, I trust the one character that we haven't actually talked a lot about who has actually been conspicuously absent <laughs> from our entire discussion. Oh, sure. Pray tell. Good. I like this. I trust Anthony Horowitz um, as a character in Good. his, yeah. in his own I like this. mythos I like this. because he is by far too clever to the point where I know I know that I've read clues and that's why I'm that's why I'm really interested about Pund at the end of Magpie Murders yeah, saying for sure. I know it I know who the killer of Mary Blackiston is and then telling us but that would imply that there's another killer that would imply that someone else killed Magnus Pye Atticus Pun doesn't strike me as the sort of person to just do a simple coordinating sentence of I know who the killer of Mar- Mary Blackiston is it was boom and they also killed Pi. Did I forget to mention that? That just doesn't. That doesn't feel like his style. I just. I. I don't. I don't think there's multiple killers. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Who knows? I guess what I want to kind of clarify is that obviously we are 
you know, Flex and I are the hosts of a murder mystery show, and I feel that this book obviously leans on a lot of a lot of obvious tropes. I mean, we, we've talked a lot about. <laughs> To I say the, the least. I mean, we, we don't need to go through the list again, but it's very much Golden Age detective fiction playing off those tropes and then lurching us in the second third of the novel uh, into the modern day to show that, yes, we're going to deconstruct these tropes. We're going to talk about them in a in a modern kind of retrospective sort of way and apply it to a, a quote unquote real murder. So I guess in a sense, people who have read a lot of murder mystery, like the two of us, we have a bit of a leg up. We can identify, um, there's one trope in particular that stuck out to me like, a light shining in the, you know, like the star that you follow home, the star of the North that I thought, Oh, that's, that's the trick. And I, I are, guess are you going to name it or are you going to no, leave poor Andrew I cannot, I cannot name it because it would literally, it would give the game away. It is what I feel <laughs> be the twist, at least, at least of the, uh, of Alan Conway's magpie murders. There is one trope that I'm like, ah, I see that trick. I've seen that before. Um, and I guess just that it's, it's so interesting watching you, Andrew, go through with your, incredibly prestigious stockpile of literary knowledge uh, and attempting to tackle this. I'm very curious to see if you are able to, by, by you know, talent and luck and skill, find the killer by the end of this. I'm so looking forward to I it. I will say, though, closing out this section before we move on to the mystery, yeah. regardless of how well you, Andrew Pope, will walk away solving this mystery, I think you will have a better understanding of the text than Herds and I. I think that's comfortable to say at this point. You've done an I excellent agree. job totally picking apart the, the things that we are not good at. Super quick question. Yeah. I'm being educated on this show for once. It's great. Super quick question though. We were we talked in the last episode about all the references, but then that kind of got turned yeah. on its head a little bit for me when we we meet Susan and in, in her investigation, we learn a couple of key facts. One from um, a, a mysterious waiter who happened to be in the restaurant with Conway and his publisher. Um, Alan Conway is very likely a plagiarist. Scandalous. Then we also, it turns out, sitting very close by, and this is this is why I trust Anthony Horowitz as as the character author, because he's brought in Agatha Christie's grandson. I mean, I'm assuming you got to know people to to like drop that in to the story. And Agatha Christie's grandson sort of he he kind of also implies there's some heavy borrowing that goes into Alan Conway's writing, which I mean, again, I wonder could this could this be part of why Conway got killed? It's lots of fun, and the- it is a it is a little curious, you know. This book seems to do a, a fairly hefty job of painting the writer of the villain in a writer's story. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's quite the twisty play. Either way, you are listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing Anthony Horowitz's Magpie Murders and within Alan Conway's Magpie Murders, up to and including The Road to Framlingham in part six. We will be back with more of that in just a second. This is 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Hurts here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are here at the tail end of our second week of discussion with Andrew Popel from Final Draft, our sister show here on 2SER about Anthony Horowitz's Magpie Murders from the end of part four up to the middle of part six, in including The Road to Framlingham. Andrew... It's time to pose your second theory. We've been poking and prodding at all of the issues and themes and all of the ways that this falls in and apart and around you. 
And I am so incredibly excited because you've come in with a bit of an easy one for our new stipulation, which is that you have to pose a different theory each week and you do have a second murder to solve. So it won't be too unreasonable, uh, even if you are struggling. But it doesn't sound like you are. And I'm very excited to hear what tools of the final draft trade have been put together to solve the murders of Alan Conway, Magnus Pye, Tom Blackston, and uh, and Mary Blackiston. Oh, okay. So, look, I mean, I've I've introduced in the the first part of the show the the, the literary parallel. So, I think we've got doubling. We've got the two stories sitting alongside each other. Um, so, I mean, I I've I was looking particularly. My feeling is that if I can find the murder from one book, either the Atticus Pund mystery or the Susan Rayland mystery, then I all I have to do is find out who their double is. For sure. Sounds good. So like, let's, let's say hypothetically, um, let's say hypothetically it's the vicar. Then I know that it's the vicar also did it. If, if, if the vicar did it in uh, Saxby on Avon, then I know the vicar did it in um, Alan Conway's world. Let's, let's go with the people I'm going to rule out. James Taylor. He has a motive. He has the opportunity. There is something about all of the murders, Magnus Pye, Mary Blackiston, Alan Conway, Tom, to a certain extent, that suggests that they knew their killer, that even if they weren't um, necessarily friendly at the time, they were familiar enough to let them in. That also explains away the locked room mysteries, someone being let in and then just locking the door behind them, potentially. James, James, I rule out. He is, he is already acknowledged as Pun's, the inspiration for Pun's sidekick, so that doesn't seem to fit for me. I do have one way to make it fit, but I, let's let's keep this simple. Oh, you don't you don't think you don't think that James Taylor set up the murders to get Atticus Pund back on the road to keep him moving while he deals with his cancer treatment? You don't think that's the trope we're playing on here? <laughs> oh, look, I, I was going to say, I, once upon a time, I would have said that potentially the end of Magpie Murders is Atticus being murdered, but you've already suggested that there are sequels. (laughs) So now we come to my two most likely suspects. One is maybe more obvious. One is, I think, a little bit left of field. What do you guys want? Do you want more obvious or left of field first? Uh, I I think left of field. Uh, Well, no, no. Hold hold on. I think think we want the one you are least convinced by first. Yes. Do that. Followed by the one you're more convinced by. Thank you. Okay, least least convinced, and although I was very convinced by this person for a while, he is also my left of field choice, Andreas. Mm, Okay, so we've barely, I don't think he's even been mentioned. We mentioned him a little bit last episode. This is Susan's, I don't like to call him boyfriend because you you don't have boyfriends in your 40s and 50s, but Susan's partner, lover, he's been away. But why? Why would he do such a thing? He has a connection to Alan Conway. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. taught together. He doesn't want to talk about uh, Conway very much. It spoils things. Perhaps Andreas and Alan Conway were lovers, and we see this. Mm. We see this kind of Spicy. illicit affair play out in the story of Joy and Robert in Magpie Murders. So for a while there, I was thinking there's a lot. Andreas has the opportunity. He seems to have some motive. Sure, but I'm not completely convinced. I think the interesting one there is that with how much we seem to be painting the Alan Conway equivalent as a as a bit of a bad guy in the lower story, it wouldn't really make sense for the uh, your Andreas equivalent to to necessarily fit that piece of the puzzle. It's a it's a bit bit of an odd sure, odd sure. one. I can see why you've fallen off that theory. Yeah, and the interesting thing the interesting thing is is who who is Alan in Magpie Murders because we have this idea of doubling mm. Susan discusses the doubling, Susan comes to the conclusion that if Claire Jenkins is Clarissa, then Alan must by virtue be 
Magnus Pie. Mm. I think she has made a mistake. There is there is a point at which I think Atticus Pund talks about we see something, we think it's obvious, but then we realise we are mistaken. It is a different interpretation entirely. Alan would not write himself as Magnus Pie. Alan is, I think, Atticus Pund. I think that's there's there's definitely he sees himself in his in his hero. Interesting. But I think Alan's doubling is is multifaceted. I think Alan potentially exists as Clarissa. I think Alan might might exist as Clarissa. But yeah, let me just let me just tell you, uh, Charles Clover. Charles Clover's who I'm calling for killing Alan Conway. Ooh, Susan's boss, the uh, head of the publishing company that Alan uh, has his books run through. Okay. I don't know all the secrets between Charles and Alan. But I know that there are secrets. I know that uh, both the heated discussion and the letter hint at things between them. Alan talks about how things didn't exactly work out the way they planned. What is he referring to? I think the unpublished manuscript, The Slide, has something to do with this. By the way, my call is that the final chapters of Magpie Murders are in the in slide somewhere, The Slide. <laughs> It'll be curious to see if we actually get to see those on the printed page. Charles had the time to get rid of those final chapters, I think. So he's allowing the text to get out there. He's killing Alan so that nothing else can be revealed that uncovers him, and he wants to get out on a high. He's going to pass the business on to Susan. But, look, I, I think so. I think what happens is Susan says every, everything about her life's changed. She doesn't have a job, et cetera, et cetera. Charles is uncovered. Susan decides to move to Crete with Aunt Andreas. I think that's where the book ends. Who done it? In Saxby on Avon, who is Charles's parallel? I'm I'm just not sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just I, I like, not sure. I'm I think you've tied the theme in of of inheritance of inheritance in there with your with your theory here. The idea that maybe things will will pass to Susan. I guess to to kind of throw a, a not a, a wrench, maybe a maybe a small wrench in your theory here. I guess. We, you've kind of talked about how all these characters um, uh, have doubles, you know, in the Magpie Murder story. Do you think that Susan has a double in there somewhere? Do you think that that's possible? Yes. I, okay. my, my, my great, my great, the, the unsatisfying feeling that I have here is that I haven't worked out all the doubles. That's okay. Could Susan could Susan possibly be Dr. Redwing, which then beggars the question, is Dr. Redwing's father Charles? Charles, that would make sense. Charles is the one, sorry, not Charles. Dr. Edwin's father had a secret that ruins him. And that's why we're, that's why I'm assuming Charles kills. There is a secret that is going to ruin him and he has to kill Alan for it. Dr. Redwing's father also had a secret that ruin, will ruin his reputation once it's out. So that could be the parallel. Sure. That's just a, that's just off the okay. top of my head because to my great shame, I, I didn't yeah. work out all the paralleling. I focused too much on the metafiction. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose the question I have off the back of all of this is, do you think that all of these parallels are going to be entirely one-to-one? Because it sounds like, broadly speaking, you kind of do. But we know here on the show that the number one rule in metafiction, when an author asks you between A and B, which is true, the answer is yes. Like, what stands out to you there as the crossover between these relationships? Does the ambiguity of Dr. Redwing and that parallel to Charles tell us more than the concrete answer of one being exactly the other? I think simply, I think Alan Conway realized that he couldn't he couldn't have them all being one-to-one parallels because it would just be too obvious. I think there's also a little bit of ego. Like I've suggested that Alan would make himself pund um, because 
of of you know sort of just ego. But I think Alan is also potentially Clarissa because he has he is the wronged party. He he feels he never got the inheritance that he deserved. He was always going to be a great literary writer, and instead he's had to put up with just being a a, a, a scribbler of of whodunits. But again, it's, I'm not completely satisfied. My my denouement does not come with a flourish of a cane. I'm just uh, I'm I'm sort of feeling like this is where it's going. You know, once again, I'm incredibly impressed with your theory and the way that you've applied the themes. It reminds me of the early days of witnessing Heard's solved murder <laughs> mystery back before he figured out each and every single trope of the genre and could point at a locked room and say be undone. Pretty much. In in the true magical style of the the uh the, the texts we've we've referenced so far. I I think that uh the the fascinating thing to me in terms of having these two parallels is that we have a very different sense of tangibility of the murders in Alan Conway's book versus Anthony Horowitz's The Magpie Murders because inside uh, Alan Conway's text, it's very much a traditional murder mystery. We, we can see the holes, we can see the points, we get to witness the crime scene. But when we get up into Anthony Horowitz's text, we don't have nearly as much of that to pull on. So to some extent, I think you do kind of have to lean on those parallels, lean on those themes. But that also does leave you hanging a little bit. I feel like the whys are intentionally somewhat obfuscated by that blurring of the layers. You know, you can kind of say that in your theory here that Charles sounds like he has some reason, some secret that's going to get out. You know, what what could be a significant enough reason to kill a golden dagger rider who you employ? Like, surely, if there's some other secret, murder is not the best option. What's what's the cause of the choice there? Okay. So there are lots of nods, and we haven't we haven't actually discussed this enough. But it, we've got to remember Susan is telling us the story in a contemporary way, but from an omnipotent present sort of future. She knows all, and she's choosing only occasionally to give us glimpses. So she gives us hints that there is something significant in Alan's letter, the letter that was initially read as a suicide note, um, but is is you know potentially more benign, but also more sinister. It would make sense to me that Alan Conway, knowing he is going to die, have we mentioned that? So Alan Conway also parallels Bund in the sense that he's got cancer, he's got cancer and he knows he's going to die. He's writing a book that is going to bring the whole house of cards down. He may not care particularly. He may think magpie murders will stand above the plagiarism that he is being accused of. So he might be ready to reveal some of his dirty secrets, which maybe won't affect him from beyond the grave, um, but will definitely affect Charles. If Charles is revealed to have been a, a publisher of, of stolen work, I think also Charles talks about things are different when you're a grandfather or you're about to become a grandfather. He's ready. He's ready to give up the business as well. I think he's realized that it's um, it's a hard and dirty business, this publishing stuff. I've got pages and pages of random clues that I know I am going to um, be slapping myself on the forehead about. That's okay. All I feel certain is that there is still more to learn. Absolutely. The, the only thing that I want to kind of drop before we you know get to the end of this episode is that it's based on the discussion we were having earlier about trusts and which characters you can trust in the story, it's interesting that you've, you've come to the conclusion that much in the same way that you can trust Anthony Horowitz uh, to, to lay down the clues and to tell you what's going on and to lead you to the answer, you are relying on Alan Conway's uh, doubling and the way that he portrays real events, whether they're one-to-one, you know, regardless of that 
know the specifics there. He is portraying real life through his fiction, much in the same way that Anthony Horowitz is portraying the answers that he's come to and the mystery that he's laid out through the story that he's written. And I, I think it's, I think it's really poetic that you, you're leaning on that, that idea of trusting the author to kind of carry you through the, through the story here, uh, Andrew. Yeah. And as you say that, you're, you're making me think thoughts. Yeah. Good. That's dangerous. <laughs> the thing that popped into my head there was gold. Just that moment where Atticus Pund says gold, gold is the, the answer. And James reminds him that it's actually fool's gold and it's not valuable to anyone. And I was like, what does that mean? And I, I, I thought to myself, well, the gold, the gold is the text. But it's fool's ah, gold. It's fool's we can't, gold. We can't stop this man, Herds. He's too powerful. He's figured out <laughs> the key metaphor of metafictional murder mystery. Once you've solved that one, you're done. Yeah, once you've, you've reached gold, it. you're at the end. You're at the end game. You can never go back, Andrew. Welcome welcome to our inner sanctum. Yeah, you've attained godhood, effectively. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait to have it all wrapped up. <laughs> but unfortunately, you will... That will be next week here on Death of the Reader. But before we get there, there is more book goodness here on 2SER over on your show, Final Draft. What do we have coming up over the next week? Okay, so this week we have got uh, a replay of the incredible conversation with Tony Tony Birch. Absolutely uh, tune in for that. And coming up on the weekend, there is just a wealth of new books. I'm kind of trying to figure out what I'm going to play. There is a fantastic new debut, Max Easton, The Magpie Wing. It's an incredible Sydney story. I think we need Sydney stories right now, so get ready for that. And I mean, more Magpie crossover. It's the perfect fit. I was not even thinking about that. This was <laughs> this is more a western suburbs of Sydney Magpie. So watch out. It is it is swooping season. I do mm-hmm. not want to be have to be solving any more magpie related uh, swoop murders. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, fantastic. Next week on the show, we will be covering all the way to the end of Anthony Horowitz's and by extension, Alan Conway's Magpie Murders. All of the answers will be revealed and we will be having a very incisive discussion into all that is uncovered. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us once again here on Death of the Reader. It's a pleasure having you as always. It's a pleasure and I cannot wait for the secret. It is soon to be told. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. This is death of the reader flex and herds here with your murder mystery world tour and we will see you next week here on 2ser 107.3 with the answers to this term and fair warning i do take attendance